Okay, so quickly, Acts is all about um, the Holy Spirit's leading of God's mission to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ throughout the whole world. And so as you read Acts and you go through it, you see this happening. Uh, and it's kind of this growing uh, mission of God to, to uh, advance the gospel of Jesus. And we see uh, that's what the Holy Spirit's doing. And so at every point that you encounter the Holy Spirit, and here again, the Holy Spirit's concern is about getting God's people out, spreading uh, the good news of Jesus Christ to others. And um, that's what we've also been called into. In other words, if you're still alive and here today, God has a purpose and plan for your life. You get a, a, a way to, there's a way for you to participate and engage in what God is doing in our world. You're not just left here to teach or write software uh, uh, coding um, or to manage a business or to go to school or to go through the kind of the phases of life. There's no, there's no kind of like meaninglessness well, you know what, am I just waiting for Jesus to return? We're all here with a sense of purpose and meaning because God is doing something, um, just as God was doing something in Acts. So this is a kind of a continuation of Acts. It never, it never ended. Um, that's why, you know, there's a church planning movement called Acts 29. The idea there is that it, we're just carrying on what God is doing. And so you and I are, uh, should be curious and interested about how do we engage with what God is doing and how do we um, join in. And I think you are, because you're here, and I think I am as well, because I'm here too. Um, and so over here in this passage, we've got the Holy Spirit uh, showing the leaders of the church, the new leaders of the new church, how uh, they are to advance God's kingdom, and then they have to either choose to obey that or choose to not obey that. And then as they obey that, then they've also got to find what the Holy Spirit teaches them along the way. And um, what you'll find with God uh, through the Holy Spirit is that He doesn't deliver you the full manual. You know, like when you go shop at Ikea, if you do that and you have the courage and boldness and faith for that journey, and you go buy something at Ikea, they give you a manual, I think, in multiple languages and pictures so that you never contact them again. That's the goal. And then knowing that you will break something, they build a part of the store that is far away from everything else, them included, where you can just go buy extra bolts and things that you broke and forgot. But really, it's like, stay away at arm's length, just get what you need and move on. God never gives us the full manual for our lives so that we can just move on without Him. He's like the opposite of Ikea. He's like, I am the manual. Uh, I've got what you need. I want you to keep coming back to me through various means, and we're going to look at those. Um, so it's never always super clear, and we even see this here. And so if you're like, I don't always know what God wants from me, it's okay. Because what we see in Acts 13 and Acts 16 is Paul, the great apostle, trying to go different ways, and along the way the Holy Spirit's forbidding him, not allowing him. He doesn't really know what to do. Have you ever felt like you don't know what to do? You don't know where to go? Have you ever felt insecure about someone going, hey, what's God doing, doing in your life? And you go, oh, I don't know. Does that make you feel like a lesser Christian? Does that make you think you're an immature Christian, a young Christian, a weak Christian, a sinful Christian? Surely if you were, have we, have we ever put it on people that surely if you're a mature Christian, surely, surely if you're walking with God, you'll know what He's doing in your life. Well, there must have been something wrong with Paul because he didn't. He's trying to figure it out. And I think the point I'm trying to make here is that we figure it out as we walk with God. We don't figure it out in kind of, here's the manual for the next 80 years of your life. Now don't come back to me. Okay, so the three things I want to look at this morning is big picture, 
the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit leads God's mission. Just big picture. Let's just see it so we know what we're aiming at. But then I want to come in a little bit and go, how can we engage with the Holy Spirit in our lives? Or how can we learn to discern Him? Or what practices can we use um, to be engaged with God and the Holy Spirit to, to walk with Him? And then I want to come even narrower and try and like find maybe one or two, just maybe one, point that sticks with you where you're able to go, yeah, that is something, maybe uh, a way that I can learn to trust God personally. Um, and, and so that's where we're going today, those three, three points. So uh, stay with me. We're made as humans to kind of need directions. I don't know if you know that or not, or if you've thought about that or not. It, it's not very, you know, think about a husband and wife. How does a wife feel when they're on a journey somewhere and she says, why don't we ask for directions? And the husband says, no, I know where I'm going. I mean, that's just a generalization from the past, maybe. I mean, nowadays we have our phones and GPS, so maybe, maybe we actually always do know where we're going. But, but you, have you ever heard of anecdotes like that? And how frustrating, you know, it's like... But there is a sense that it's insane to try to get to where you're going all by yourself. It's, it's way more uh, logical to get directions along the way, to ask other people. So there's, we're, we're made that way. And so the way that God interacts with us and the way that God has made us is to continually be engaged with Him and others to find our way forward. And that's what we're going to see with the Holy Spirit. Um, and what I want to use as a picture along the way is, is a journey. Uh, I was in Tokyo recently, and uh, Tokyo is a mega city. It doesn't feel very big because everyone's inside the whole time. But then every now and then you realize it's a, it's a mega city. There's lots of, there's millions and millions and millions of people. But following your phone, I don't, I don't know if I remember Tokyo as well as I remember my phone because that's what I was looking at most of the time to get to where I was going. And it takes you and, and puts you, you know, I need to get over to Kichijoji to go see Ryuta and his church. And it takes you from uh, Sabuya where to this train, get on this train. And then you're following and you're like, oh, I'm going in the right direction on the train. Yes, score. And uh, you're heading in the right direction, and then you have to get off at it, and then you walk around, and it gets you exactly. And, and here's you know, someone who hasn't got a clue where he's going, and it's kind of this marvelous thing of like, oh my goodness, I've navigated this mega city, and I'm exactly where I need to be five minutes before I need to be there. This is incredible. Um, along the way, though, it's not that easy, because Google Maps, I don't know this, you know, like gray dots means it's underground. So I'm standing there walking everywhere going, this thing is not here. And you go walk around the corner, it's not there. You go walk around the corner, it's not there. You're cussing Google Maps, you stupid thing. You need to update. Um, and then you see there's stairs next to you. And, well, I better go check those out. You go down, and there's the thing exactly where you're standing, but underground. So you also need to learn a little bit better how to read the map. You know, oh, gray means underground. I know that now. Next time I see gray dots, I'll look for stairs and go straight downstairs, and, and we'll find it over there. Or you get the right number of the train, but you see your blue dots going in the wrong direction. It's like, oh no, right train, wrong direction. Uh, get off at the next stop and try again. Do over. So it's not a perfect science, but take that thing away and you'll be absolutely lost. You, know, you will be in restaurants eating food, but not with the people in the restaurants you should be eating food with. Uh, you'll be on trains going places, but not the places you should be going. You'll be spending time doing things, but not the things you should be doing. Have, have you ever felt like that in your life? 
you're doing things, you're going places, you're, you're nourishing yourself, but maybe it's not with the things that you should be. Um, and, and in a sense, you just need more of God's guidance and His leadership so that you go, can go to the places, eat the, nourish yourself with the food He wants to, and be with the people that He's called you to be with uh, in your life. But if that's where you are, it's okay. We all lose our way, and that's why we need His help to find it again. And so this morning, I just want to think of it as a journey. So number one, the Holy Spirit leads God's mission. Let's just think big picture. So from the very beginning, the Holy Spirit was always there, and He was always participating in what God was doing. So right from the second verse, we find out that, you know, uh, in the beginning, God created. We find out that God is a creator God, that He he makes everything, that He makes everything out of nothing, that everything exists because God exists. And in the very next verse, we find out that the Holy Spirit is hovering over the waters of the deep. He's right there engaged with what God is doing. You cannot separate... um, what God, what God, who God is and what God wills and what God does from the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is often the, how God actions His will in this earth. That's how we understand it. So He's right there in the beginning. But as we move on uh, through the Bible, we see that Jesus is led by the Spirit as well. Jesus, the Son of God, is led by the Spirit of God to do the Father's will. So Jesus, the man... Jesus in human form has to have spiritual leadership in his life. He has to, and we see him even in the Garden of of Gethsemane, wrestle between his kind of human will and his will for God's will. You know, and he he settles it, not my will, but yours be done. And that's Jesus wrestling as we can never wrestle because all of us have said, not your will, but mine be done. That's why we get into mess and that's why Jesus has to rescue us. Right, And so, look at some ways, you know, from just in Jesus' ministry. Jesus, at His baptism, the Holy Spirit comes down, and then it says that He's led into the wilderness by the Spirit. Um, have you ever been led into a wilderness by the Spirit? I mean, who of us think that way? That if I'm following the Holy Spirit, I'm going to be stuck in a wilderness, being challenged by Satan, fasting for 40 days. I mean, we'd all go, man, I think you need to go and pray and find God. <laughs> Right? Now, don't, don't, you know, don't, don't parallel your life to Christ. He did things you can never do, and He did things so that you never have to do them. Uh, but I, all I'm saying is, you know, it doesn't always look sweet. So He's led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. And then through, throughout the 40 days, Jesus relies on the Holy Spirit to help Him remain faithful to God, as He's tempted by Satan. Before Jesus chooses His disciples, I mean, this is what He's come to do. Surely he knows what he's doing. He spends the whole night in prayer, and we can assume that he's doing that to to find out who he's supposed to choose, and that God is leading him by the Spirit to the next day go and choose his disciples. Jesus says uh, in Matthew 12 that he heals people and casts out demons by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus went to the cross by the Holy Spirit's leading, the, the writer of Hebrews tells us. And then Jesus is raised to life through the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus ascends and says He's going to send His Holy Spirit to us. So Jesus' whole ministry, He's following the Holy Spirit. And then He says, now you're going to pick up my ministry and you're going to need the Holy Spirit. Do you you see that? So then the disciples themselves get led by the Holy Spirit, just as Jesus told them. Not only in Pentecost does the Holy Spirit come down and then Peter gets up and preaches and 3,000 people get saved. 
But we see in Acts 8, this, this amazing story. If the Bible's boring to you, just go read Acts again. There's this crazy story where Philip's, uh, the Holy Spirit tells Philip to catch up to a chariot. Now, either the chariot has a donkey, or Philip's like an Olympic runner, or something's going on there. But he, the Holy Spirit says, catch up to it and then run beyond it. You know, has the Holy Spirit ever given you some like, kind of crazy advice? Uh, you know, there's a person in the city, just go run beyond them and then watch what I'm going to do. Um, anyway, again, don't parallel too much, just, just listen to what is happening. And then Philip gets led to, to preach the gospel. The, the eunuch's busy reading the Bible, and Philip gets led to explain to him what this is and, and tell, tell him the gospel, and he gets saved. And then the Holy Spirit, uh, t- as he did to my mom this morning, he vanishes. And then Philip shows up again. Sorry, Mom, you weren't here for that. You were in the middle of a rapture, we heard. Dad will have to explain. Just a quick comment. If you're visiting King's Cross and you're like, whoa, they're like boo people who leave the church and uh, their theology is pretty shoddy around the rapture. Um, welcome to an average day at King's Cross. <laughs> there's no defense. Um, so... You know, so there's Philip, and he's following the Holy Spirit, and he's just doing what the Holy Spirit leads him to do, and a eunuch gets saved, and then, and then Philip just gets, you know, this transported somewhere. Amazing. Wouldn't we all love to be transported? I'm sure Ryan and Sam would rather be transported back to America than have to get on a plane. It doesn't happen a lot. Peter then gets led by the Holy Spirit to go to Cornelius' house. Remember that vision that he had last week? That vision, and, then he, and then the Holy Spirit says to him, there's three people coming, go with them, be led by them. And then we'll figure out what we have to do along the way. And then today we've got, you know, these two texts where Paul gets identified by the Holy Spirit through the church. They, they're figuring this out and they believe that the Holy Spirit has led them to separate Paul and Barnabas and some others and send them out. Paul has to leave home. I mean, how confident are you with your church membership that as we pray together and seek God's guidance together, the Holy Spirit may lead us to something and we may go, hey, Anae and Mona, there's a sense that God has called you to go and uh, move to... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Egypt. Are Italians welcome in Egypt? Yeah, okay. But, but there's this corporate sense. But Paul and Barnabas are the ones who have to leave home. You know, it's fun for everyone else. Hey, the Holy Spirit's saying to you, Go. <laughs> Great. Aren't we a wonderful church? How faith-filled we are. You know, I'll pack Paul's sandwiches, but Paul's the guy who's got to leave. And then they go, trusting God. And with sincere hearts, they try and do things, and the Holy Spirit says no. Can you, look, I don't think, I think, I don't think Paul lacked faith, but maybe, so this is just me imagining what I would be like. God, I have left home for you. I left what I've loved for you where I'm known for you, the people I I am home with for you. Now I'm trying to do something for you, and you're not even helping me out. You're opposing me. I seem more interested in your gospel than you do. I say that because I've literally said that. Stupid, I know. But I remember when we moved here from Australia, the first three years, I remember saying, uh, when we moved, we didn't move from Australia, we moved to Australia from California. I remember saying, God, I don't understand it. We have family there. We have a church we love there. We have our best friends there. You were doing great things there. You brought us here. I wasn't trying to come here. This wasn't my idea. We felt you send us here. And now we're trying everything 
to, to be a salt and light into the city, and you don't seem to be present. Are we more interested in this than you are? And of course, that's stupid. But have you ever felt that way about anything? And I don't, there's nothing in the Bible that suggests Paul for a second felt that way. But I can imagine. And the Holy Spirit leads him. So the Holy Spirit clearly leads God's mission on the earth. There's no one else that leads the mission of God on earth. It's the Holy Spirit. And the single concern of the Holy Spirit is to promote God's mission of the gospel of Jesus Christ to all the nations of the world. It's not the only thing the Holy Spirit's doing. It's the primary thing that the Holy Spirit's doing. And any of us who engage uh, with what God is doing, or any of us who bring ourselves into submission and say, God, not my will, but your will be done, have an opportunity to in some way participate with God's great mission in this world. Even if, even if it means in our neighborhoods we are salt and light. You know, I'm not trying to say that everyone is going to at some stage be sent out, um, but you may well be. Um, let's move on to point number two. So how can we discern? How can we discern some ways? What are some ways that we can discern what the Holy Spirit is saying to us? Firstly, I want to settle you in the sovereignty of God. Sometimes I think we get disrupted, depending on your, you know, it depends where you come from. If you come from like a more Reformed theological perspective, and don't worry if you don't know what that means, it's really not important, or a more charismatic theological perspective, if you come from a more this side, then you already are quite settled in the sovereignty of God, so much so maybe that you're actually quite passive, like God is so sovereign, I don't have to do anything. He can figure it all out. He'll just move me where He wants me. But if you're on this side, and this is who I want to speak to, there's kind of this burden of... You know, God is sovereign, I know that, but I really need to do things. I want to be obedient. I don't want to mess it up. Where does God want me? And there's, a, there's this almost constant sense of pressure to figure out what God's will is for you, to not mess it up, right? And, and so I want to kind of pull you towards here and say, hey, yeah, there is involvement, but God is sovereign. You don't have to worry. The burden's not on you. Acts 17 says that God has ordained the times and the places where we are to dwell. This is how sovereignty works. One way that it works. You can either be here and go, you know, I don't know where God wants me. I need to figure it out. The assumption is you're not probably where God wants you, and you need to figure out where God wants you. There's some movement you have to make, right? Moving here, sovereignty goes, God has ordained the times and the seasons where we are to dwell. God knows that He's, he's put me here, here and now, he knows me, and he knows where I am. He's not lo trying to locate me. You know, like I, we, my family follows Find My Friends. My one daughter, the youngest one, keeps track of us on Find My Friends on the app. The second my wife and I leave an appointment, a text comes through. Hey, guys, just wondering if I can. Why, why does she do that? She knows we're available. They're done. They're moving. They're on the move. I can get to them. Hey guys, I've got 10 ideas I've had since your appointment started. This is what I want to do. Or yesterday we were in a race. We were having dinner with my parents and the family was separated. So three of us jumped on the train and three of us were leaving from home and we were watching, find my friends, who's going to get there first? I'd be happy to say the three of us who took the train won. The point is, the sovereignty of God, you can rest and go, I'm exactly where I need to be right now. Unless you know that you're disobedient, 
Unless God has made it clear that you're meant to be somewhere else, then you should be there. Otherwise, you can rest and go, I'm where I need to be. I don't really know why, but I know I'm where I need to be right now. And just breathe. For those of you who want all the answers, stop. Just breathe. God has ordained the times and the places where we are to dwell. Just relax a little bit. God knows where you're at. But what can we actually do then? So just looking at these texts, there's a few things that we can do. Just watching them. Firstly, you know, they were together. They were praying. They were fasting. They were confirming together or reflecting upon what they felt God was saying. They were obediently responding. This is just, you know, in these few verses, we see them practicing these spiritual habits. They were doing some things. They were giving some attention. So there's ways that we can learn to discern the Holy Spirit's leading. Now, again, this is, let's go back into the journey. Imagine I get to Tokyo, and I've got my phone. Let's just, like, try and somehow keep the theology accurate. I've been given something that can help me Get to where I need to be, when I need to be there, so that I can do what I'm being called to do or sent to do. But I keep it in my pocket. And I go, I'm just going to try. Sincerely. I'm going to give it my best effort. I'm going to work hard to understand. It would be a bit foolish, right? You'd all go, just pull your phone out. Just follow it. It's not rocket science, Mark. Well, in the same way, as Christians, we've been given the Holy Spirit, but we can quite easily kind of go, hold on, I've got this. I'm going to give it my best effort and work it out by myself because I sincerely want to please God. But it seems foolish. Hold on, pause. God doesn't want you to do it alone. Ask for the Holy Spirit. Jesus says God wants to give you a great gift. He says, what What even earthly father doesn't want to give his children good gifts? Your heavenly father wants to give you a wonderful gift. And that gift is the Holy Spirit. And he gives it to everyone who asks. It's there. It's there for you. The Holy Spirit's there for you. So let's engage in this journey. Let's get directions. Let's get help. Let's, in a sense, take the, you know, sorry. Let's take the Holy Spirit out. The Holy Spirit's not like a device or a phone. And let's engage. Let's ask, how do I get to Kichijoji by 10.30? Holy Spirit, what does God want from my life? Holy Spirit, what do you want to lead me in today? Holy Spirit, what has God called us to? Holy Spirit, how can we glorify your Son? Holy Spirit, is there anything in me that stands against you? Is there any way I'm opposing what God desires for me? You know, you can ask any question you want. So here's some things, some actual practices that can help. Let's get to like some real practical things. Number one is Bible reading. The only way that we know about what happened (laughs) is because we've read it in our Bibles. We wouldn't have a clue about how God was leading His people if we didn't open up our Bibles and read what God has given to us. Now Paul says to Timothy, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable so that the people of God, you know, blah, 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 so that the people of God can be mature, not lacking anything. So we want to open and get to know the Scriptures. We don't want to be a hard-hearted, cold, 
uh, theologians, Paul says knowledge puffs up. We don't want to just know stuff. There's a certain kind of Bible knowledge that you don't have to be a Christian to have. You can be an expert in knowing what the Bible says, and you can be an absolute rookie at knowing what the Bible says at the same time. We want to be children who are getting to know our Father and His will and what He's doing through what our Father's given to us to read, to know. So there's many ways that you don't have to just, you know, maybe you go, but I struggle reading, I'm not a reader, I'm, uh, I'm dyslexic, I'm illiterate. Look, it's not... Uh, thanks, love. Am I getting gross? <laughs> Thank you. It's not only, um, you know, you sitting by yourself reading, you know, following McShane's you, Old Testament, New Testament, Psalms or Proverbs, and you're like, you know, some of you, as I'm saying that, you're like, yes, I love that, more. And some of you are going like, oh, that just feels like a burden. This, this, this just feels crushing. Let me remind you, Jesus says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Whatever Jesus uses as a means to train you and teach you and lead you, including the Holy Spirit, isn't primarily a heavy burden on you that you can't handle. He gives you the grace so that you can say, yeah, Bible reading, I found a way to do it that God has equipped me and enabled me to do. Maybe it's reading with a friend. Maybe it's listening to the Scriptures. Maybe it's through a sermon that you primarily get taught for now. In other words, many ways that you can open up God's Word and learn about God and His will and what He's like. It's like opening up the map and going, what the, map, the Bible shows us the map and goes, here's the journey. Here's where we're going. There's going to be ups and downs. When you experience suffering, you can go, oh, I see that. It's on the map. There's this like massive hill and it says, beware, blisters. Like, I'm getting those. I'm getting the blisters of life. It sucks right now. But the map shows me that God works in suffering. All right, this, we're on the path. And there's other, oh, the map says there's also joy and delight and satisfaction and peace. The map says that I get led by the peace of God that transcends all understanding. Well, I don't experience peace. Maybe this isn't where God is leading. Let me check in with some others. So open your Bibles. Let the Holy Spirit uh, lead you through it. Let the Holy Spirit teach you. I love Michael Eaton's uh, talking about the Bible. He's a, he was a wonderful theologian who's dead now. And he would, he would say, you know, just how do you read your Bible? Just read it. Just open it up and start where you ended yesterday. And just read it until something, the Holy Spirit makes something come alive to you. And then stop and just stay there. If it's a word, if it's a sentence, just stop. If it's a whole chapter, just read the whole chapter. If nothing happened, close your Bible and come back tomorrow. It's okay. But just be in your word and let the Holy Spirit speak. And when He does, stop and just stay there. And when He doesn't, you know, the Holy Spirit can bring it back to memory in a year's time. I remember going through uh, a massive, like, moments of kind of fear and anxiety and, God, what do I do? I was awake at 3 o'clock in the morning and um, I wasn't reading through the Psalms. I wasn't reading through... Uh, the, the, I, what, I wasn't, what I wasn't reading is the Scripture, Be still and know that I am God. And yet that's the Scripture that God brought to me. So the Holy Spirit, you know, just read it. Just get it. Just get it in you. And the Holy Spirit can use it to speak to you. And the Holy Spirit was able to go, Hey, Mark, remember that thing that made no sense? I don't want to be still and know that uh, God is God. I want to like shout from the rooftops. I've got so much energy and creativity. I want to do stuff. In that moment, oh my God, what's happening in life? Mark, be still and know that I'm God. Okay. 
God, you've got this. Um, here's a couple of questions. Do you regularly look at the map and check that you're moving in the right direction? Who could you ask to read the Bible with you? Is there anyone? Number two, spiritual community. You need to be spiritually sensitive and, and um, you, need to be, you need to be in a spiritually sensitive and gifted community. Uh, the Bible tells us about how God has given the gifts of the Holy Spirit, or the Holy Spirit has given gifts to the body of Christ so we might edify each other. He tells the Christians in Corinth, Paul tells the Christians in Corinth, to pray for the Holy Spirit's gifts that edify the body. So we have a gifted community, and, you need, and, and most times that's a church. It's not the only way, but most times it's a church that everyone has gifts, and we're able to find and hear God together, and we're able to get insights and perspectives, and there may be prophetic people, there may be words of wisdom, there may be encouragement, there may be compassion, there may be mercy, there may be leadership, there may be service. All, all ways that the Holy Spirit can help and guide and speak to us collectively and together. I know when we, when we felt that God was moving us to Australia, we shared it with the elders of, of the church that we were in in California, and they said, uh, no, we don't get it. We don't think, so we didn't come. We just sat. <laughs> like, okay, we're trying to hear God collectively. We think God's taking us there, but, but our leaders don't. So we sat. And I was, I was one of the pastors in the church, and I remember one morning waking up and saying, this call is burning inside of me. I, I can think of nothing else. I'm useless here because I think the only place God wants us to be is there. And to not be there now would be disobedient. I think I'm going to have to resign and, and go. And that's the last thing I want to do. That's what I said to my wife. 20 minutes later, a phone call comes. And it's the captain of our team. And he says, do you mind if I just stop at your house on my way into the elders' prayer meeting this morning? Said, no problem. He comes over, he says, I felt like the baby God was saying this morning that if you still feel Australia is in your heart, you need to go. Do you want to bring that up with the elders and we pray about it together this morning? It's like, uh, let me think about that. Yeah. All right. <laughs> yes! How safe it is even when people aren't agreeing with us, even when people aren't seeing what we're seeing, how safe it is to submit it to the Lord and say, God, this is your community who's trying to follow your Holy Spirit and you will speak to us collectively. We're not opposing each other. We're not opposing you. You will help us find you together. How well are you engaging with the gifted community around yourself? Do you have relationships um, that you can ask people to speak into your life. That you can say, hey, what do you think about this? If you're not willing to share the big things in your life to get perspective, why is that? Is it because you've already decided what you're going to do? And you're not willing for anyone to kind of contradict that? Are you nervous that uh, God may not want that for you? You know, I mean, if we're really sure that we want God's will and that God speaks through gifts and through His Word and, and His Spirit leading us then it's, it's, we can kind of be quite comfortable to go, this is something burning in my heart, but I'm happy to bring it, and we'll figure it out together. God will lead us. 
Number three, they were praying. I love how Paul doesn't like go, every church needs to have this kind of prayer meeting. He just goes, they were praying and fasting. And the Holy Spirit spoke to them. It's like this obvious thing. In other words, it's, it's quite light. Jesus' yoke is easy and his burden is light. You don't have to be like a prayer warrior. You don't always have to stab through the night to pray. Maybe you're praying on your way to work. Maybe you pray with your wife before you go to sleep. Maybe you pray on your way to school. Maybe you pray when you wake up in the morning and you're lying in bed. Maybe you pray on your knees before you go to bed. It really doesn't matter. Do you pray? Linguists and uh, anthropologists have this belief that language creates culture. They say that the words that we use create our beliefs and our values and our vision. The things that we speak out, we live out, is what they're saying. And so prayer is a way for us to understand what God's will and ways are and to be able to pray to God and be able to have God's will and ways and values and His gospel become normative in our life. So I can say, God, for example, I can say, God, I feel ungracious towards my family. I feel grumpy and mopey and sulky, and I don't feel like serving my family. But as I read your word, your word says I should sacrificially love my family. There's a distance between what you want me to do and what I want to do. Can you help me? And what happens there is the, is the words of prayer help create culture and belief and faith and values. And the Holy Spirit is able to work upon my life and take me somewhere towards God's will. Do you see that? So your, your prayers don't have to be triumphant. They don't have to be, um, we are, you know, only, we are more than conquerors. You know, you're facing worries and you're like, we are more than conquerors. I won't fear that. You can actually just pray, God, I am fearing, but your word tells me I don't have to fear. Your word says you'll care for me and I'm nervous that you're not caring for me. Can you help me to align my heart with what your truth says? It's okay. That's okay. Or, if things are going great, you can say, God, thank you so much, because naturally I would worry, but I see I'm not worried. Thank you that your word is alive in my heart, and it's bearing fruit. I see you've done a great work. Thank you so much. Right? And so Jesus actually gave us the language of prayer, because Jesus wants language to create culture in our lives. So, first of all, I won't go through the whole prayer, because you can do it in Matthew 6, but Jesus starts with, Our Father which art in heaven. Jesus wants you to have a culture in your life where you know you are a child of God in community, in a family. Our Father. You're not alone. You're not a resource. You're not one of God's human resources. You're one of God's children. Our Father. We're in a body. We're in a family. Our Father. And as we pray what Jesus taught us to pray, Jesus is teaching us to believe what He knows to be true. Do you believe that you are a loved child of God? Whether you were loved by your parents or not, whether you experienced love or not, Jesus cuts across all of that and says, you are a loved child of God who belongs. And you can say, our Father. Oh, that's great news. Who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You aren't under circumstances. You aren't moved by circumstances. You aren't influenced by circumstances. You're in heaven. You're over all things. You're, you're higher then. And hallowed be thy name. There's no name like your name. There's no name that stands against you. When there's UFC 472, I don't know how those numbers work, but whatever it is, there's no name that can wrestle, go up against God. There's nothing. No demon, no Satan, no power, no principality, no circumstance that can go up against God. Our children loved. 
your Father, He's greater than anything you face. That's just the first line. How does that speak into our lives? How does it speak into our situations? How does it speak into our marriages? How does it speak into uh, our careers? How does it speak into our neighborhoods? How does it speak into our friendships? How does it speak into our health? So what does your prayer life look like? What are the values and beliefs? It's illogical to say, God, here's what I want to do. Please make a way for it to happen. God is not your genie in the bottle. Prayer is there for you to get God's will for your life, to get God's heart for your life, to get God's love in your life. Prayer is not there for you to make wishes. That's a waste of your time. Unless your greatest wish is to do what God has for you, then that's exactly what prayer is there for. And that will be the most wonderful thing to come true. Number four, wisdom from others. I've already spoken about this. So I won't speak about it any longer. But we get wisdom and counsel from other Christians. And then number five, at some point we have to be obedient. We actually have to, we actually have to do something. This is what God's called us to do. Let's do something. Okay, let's get personal. I'm going to give you a few things. All I want is if one of them stick, just stop listening, listen to that and think about that and meditate on that and stop listening to me until I'm finished. Hopefully, uh, something will stick. Okay? So if you're like this, as I'm reading this, then just go, yeah, that's what I want. That's what I can pray into. That's what, I, that's, that's who I am. That's what I'm like. And then just stop listening until I get finished. Yeah? Okay. If you're someone who's always striving for perfection... You can remember God's grace is there for your failings along the way as well. You can pray and ask God to help you focus on surrendering your desires and your will and trusting His guidance instead of your standards of perfection. God's journey for you isn't perfect, but it's good. He's not going to enable you to be perfect, and He's not going to make those around you perfect. But God's work is good. My question for you is, can you switch your aim towards God's goodness and not your perfection and allow the Holy Spirit to work on your heart? If you're someone who gets identity from serving others, can you bring a focus to your relationship with God instead? So instead of serving others to get an identity from them and from your service, can you seek intimacy with God through the Holy Spirit? Seek to know God through the Holy Spirit and know who you are in God. So that then your service can be out of a love for God, not out of a need for yourself. If you're someone who feels better about yourself when you're kicking goals in life or achieving or winning or moving forward in your career, can you shift your focus to maybe what God's purposes are for your life? Success in God's eyes is very different to worldly success. Think about Jesus, how weak He looked on the cross. It doesn't look like any sort of promotion or goal kicking. And the scriptures tell us that when we're weak, God is strong. So if you're living on success and kicking goals, then you're really going to struggle with how God humbles us. How God leads us to 
trust Him and lean on Him and not our own understanding. And the good news for you is that God wants to show you His love and acceptance apart from achievements for Him. Can you trust that as you walk with the Holy Spirit, God will guide you towards all that He has for you, whatever that looks like, and that can be your greatest achievement in your life. If you're someone that generally needs to have all the answers, if you intellectualize things and if knowledge is what you love, can you learn to rely on God's wisdom and guidance? Scriptures say that the wisdom of God is foolishness to man. You may be, maybe you're personally more comfortable with knowledge than people. Maybe you feel like, I know stuff and I've got the answers. I don't need people. I don't want people. They're such a burden to me. Maybe you think of yourself as an introvert and you think you prefer your own space. Can you learn to focus your, your uh, can you learn to deepen your relationship with God and being open to the leading of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit may take your gift for knowledge and wisdom and give you a heart so that you might bring that into people's lives. And that the Holy Spirit may open you and soften you to love those around you. Maybe you're someone who experiences fears and doubts when you don't know what's going on or there's new seasons. Can you trust the Holy Spirit to trust God's protection and guidance even in uncertain and challenging times? Would you be willing to ask the Holy Spirit to help you cultivate a sense of peace and security in your relationship with God? A sort of peace that transcends understanding. Not that God has to change the circumstances, but that you know God is in the circumstances. Can you trust that the Holy Spirit can help you rely on God and not the reassurance and validation others can give you? Are you someone who is easily distracted from God by adventures and experiences and pleasures? Could you ask the Holy Spirit to help you find true joy and meaning and fulfillment and satisfaction from God's presence? Maybe you struggle to open the Bible. It seems so boring. You'd rather be on a 10-minute adventure exploring something. Can you ask the Holy Spirit to help you find joy in hearing God's Word speak over you? Can you ask the Holy Spirit to help you find uh, fulfillment, not in new experiences, but in doing what God has for you? Do you think you could trust God's guidance? Maybe you can discover that God will use your enthusiasm and energy to bless the people around you and to serve them. Are you someone who seeks to have power and control over others or even your own circumstances? Do you think that you could trust the Holy Spirit to help you recognize that true strength and leadership comes from serving God's purposes? That you don't have to dominate people, that you don't have to hold power, that you don't have to control things. You can open up your hand, trust the Holy Spirit, and see what happens. You can be like Jesus who gave up his life even unto death and trusted that the Spirit would raise him back to life. 
Can you lay down your life? Can you gently and graciously serve people around you for God's glory and their good? Lastly, maybe you struggle with speaking up. Maybe you're nervous of causing conflict. Maybe you just want to avoid all sort of conflicts. Do you think you could ask the Holy Spirit to show you that your voice and your presence and your engagement and your participation are valuable and important in God's purposes? That to stay silent isn't always helpful. Maybe as you learn to discern the Holy Spirit, you'll find that it enables you to be bold and courageous and obey God's leading even when it ruffles feathers. Maybe rather than avoiding conflict or going along with what everyone else around you wants to do, do you think you could trust God's grace is available to you? That the Holy Spirit can lead you and guide you and give you wisdom and that the Holy Spirit will lead to reconciliation. Jesus wasn't afraid to call us sinners because He knew He could make us saints. Maybe the Holy Spirit can give you courage, even for disagreements and difficulty, knowing that the Holy Spirit can lead to reconciliation and peace. I hope one of those things landed on your heart.